Today on the podcast, we're talking about resistance. My guest is international communication facilitator, advisor, and coach Leanne Hughes. And she told me that while we often try to overcome resistance, she believes it can be a really good thing. Today, I give her a call to talk all about it. Do it live! Do it live! I'll write it and we'll do it live! 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, liftoff! Joining me on the phone is Leanne Hughes, who loves creating unpredictable workshop experiences that predictably work. She combines her experience in marketing with her education in human resources and psychology to help leaders create engaging everyday experiences that are so contagious they scale across teams, functions, and regions. Leanne has facilitated leadership, onboarding, and team development workshops across Australia, Canada, Hong Kong, India, Indonesia, Mongolia, Papua New Guinea, and Singapore, and believes in a strength-centered approach to learning and development. She has over 14 years of experience across a range of industries, including mining, government, and tourism sectors. She's the host of the First Time Facilitator podcast, where she helps trainers and facilitators book out five workshops for every workshop they deliver. And I'm so glad to have her on the podcast. Leanne, welcome. Shane, I always love talking to you. So thanks so much for another opportunity to have a great chat. I, I always feel like when we get the chance to chat, we could, we could talk all day. So I'm expecting this podcast, normally they're about 45 minutes. This one I'm expecting somewhere between five to eight hours. So people who are listening, I would get a coffee and maybe a drink, just settle in. We're, we're going for the long haul. Are you up for that? Well, I don't mind a bit of a marathon. So yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's have a talk there, that's for sure. All right. Before we get into that, um, let's kick off with some fast facts. So three questions. Where were you born? What was your first job? And then what do you do now? I was born in Brisbane, Australia, um, but I've lived around Australia and, and overseas. My first job was working for a local swimming pool. Uh, so in years, years 11 and 12, yeah, I just worked from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. I get paid in cash um, and just let people in, make hot dogs and serve them treats. It was, See, it was great. I, I love asking this question because the amount of responses and the diversity of responses I get from people. Now, there's obviously the usual suspects like, you know, dropping off newsletters or, or, or newspapers. Uh, but then you get ones like this, which is I'm like, that's a really cool first job. It was amazing. Yeah. I, I never <laughs> used the pool though. Like I, I've never really been a swimmer. Like what a missed opportunity. Um, but it, it was it lovely. Is a missed opportunity. It was a real missed uh, opportunity. And so tell me about what do you do now? So now I work as a trusted advisor, uh, sort of management consultant for organizations. Um, and I really love, I, I do love running workshops. I'm also a podcast host of a podcast called First Time Facilitator. So it's really about um, any of the work that I do, creating sort of unpredictable experiences that predictably work. So oh, I like ways that. to get attention that actually um, are backed by science and, and previous experience. Yeah. Yeah, see, this is the reason why we get along so well. I, I honestly love your work and, and love the, the your ability to be able to hold space for people in a really safe way, but also in a in a really energizing and creative way. And and you know, people who who maybe um, are listening because they they know you, they would you know see everything that you produce, and it's always it's super creative and it's fun and it's energizing. Um, but you're also um, yeah, you're just really really good at what you do. But here's the thing: when I I reached out to people to invite them on the podcast, I usually ask them like give me one thing that's really exciting for you now or give me a big word um, that you'd love to talk about and you wrote the word resistance 
in the thing and you didn't give me any other context or <laughs> any other information about that. Now I have to ask, did you write the word resistance because that's your way of saying I refuse to participate in this? <laughs> or did you write the word resistance because it had some other meaning for you? It genuinely, I was, it was such a powerful question. I know you might think it's just an innocent question that you're asking, like what's the word that you're really passionate about that you really want to talk and riff about? And I think at the time, um, when I submitted that, maybe I was going through a lot of internal resistance on, on what I was thinking about. And I just took it, like I do with everything, I took it a, a layer above and went quite meta with it. And I thought if there's anyone that I could talk to resistance about, it would be Shane. And <laughs> as an explorer, as opposed to being the expert on overcoming resistance, but I find it plays out a lot in you know the work that we do, how we show up as business owners um, as well. It's constantly like this, this battle, right, between what we should be doing. You know, resistance plays out every day. Oh, I couldn't agree more. The most recurring conversation that I feel like I have with people, especially when they reach out to engage someone like a coach, right? So coaching is is the is probably the, the space you hear it the most. They come out, they approach you because they say, I feel like I want to be somewhere that I'm not, and I I just don't know how to get there. I feel stuck where I'm at. I'm stuck between this place of where I want to be and where I'm actually at. Has that been your experience with people? All the time. All the time. And um, like even going it through myself, and when you're stuck and when you're in limbo and when you're not too sure, it, I, it's like life purgatory. It's like you don't know. You get, it's hard to manage time. It's hard to uh, accept or deny commitments because you're like, will this be the opportunity that leads me to where I want to go? Like, will it? Will this help me get unstuck? Um, nothing's certain in life. So, yeah, um, absolutely. I think people, it, it can be a really frustrating time and you feel like maybe I'm trying all these things. I don't know what that North Star is yet. So, what am I meant to be doing? Mm. What do you think for people who are listening to this conversation um, and going, okay, when you talk about resistance, like it's it's a very broad concept, a very broad yes. term. Like what do you mean by resistance? Yeah, well, I think if I talk about the work that I do, let's just talk about workshops, right? So a lot of my podcasts um, about facilitation, where people really struggle is how do I get um, people to come to my workshop? We, we call them like hostage, you know, hostages, <laughs> right? They've been told by HR they have to be there. So what I find in facilitation, I find a lot of life skills out of it. So the first sort of part of that session is actually overcoming. And again, I want to distance that word, overcoming the resistance, but also um, making it easy for people to feel comfortable and engaged to, to participate. So you think, okay, so what are the steps that I'm doing and framing in that workshop to make that happen? Something that I spoke to you about changes early was that unpredictability. So what we happen mm. and what we see in life is uh, things have a certain way of being. So when you go into a workshop, you think, all right, I'm going to get there. The, the facilitator will come up the front of the room or the virtual Zoom room. They'll introduce themselves. I'll talk about housekeeping and, you know, start going along. And then I try and sort of pattern interrupt that and think, okay, if that's the format of this session, what can we do differently? So it's not overcoming the, res the resistance. What it is, it's like breaking the pattern down and going, what could I try that's a little bit different here and do the opposite in order to get the attention? So if you think, okay, so if, so if you take that and you bring it into your own life, what I think we've got to do to overcome our own resistance or frustrations is how do we start breaking that pattern? And I think mm. that's why coaching, you talk about this is in the context of coaching, why people come to you is they're just sick of the same thought process and pattern happening. It's like, even with work, I'll um, like for 15 minutes, I might just be scrolling down a Google doc and like not writing anything, not making any, like I'm not making any progress. I've got a pattern interrupt and say, Leanne, this is not working right now. Go for a walk. Yeah. Right. And so with resistance, it's not about necessarily pushing through. Like people might say, I'll oh, just sit down. Don't leave your seat. Just push out those 800 words. But I find that if I just go out for a walk around the block, 
again, it's a great pattern interrupter, come back and write 1500 words as a result. So it's thinking about ways that are kind of counterintuitive to make progress. Mm. It reminds me, I know um, there's a great book called The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath. I'm not sure if you've read it. Like, again, it, they talk about that in a similar way. They use the language of break the script, right? Which is Love that it. internal script that we have, that this is how this situation is supposed to play out, that we prepare ourselves and we brace ourselves for, right? So you go, okay, well, I've got a, um, you know, an executive offsite. And immediately the, you, you use those words, you know exactly what it looks like. You're going to a hotel somewhere, you're going to go into a boardroom table, you're going to sit around that table and you're going to, you know, put sticky notes on the walls and like everything inside your script is already there. And so if that's not something that excites you or energizes you about the thought of that, immediately you, you face that internal resistance, right? Yes. Yes. And then you, and then you wonder why that, that's a good question to ask yourself. It's like, whenever I encounter that resistance to a task or to a project, I think, why am I feeling this way? Actually, my friend, mm. our mutual friend, Steph Clark, I think I was venting to her one day and she's like, why is this bothering you so much? I, I always <laughs> ask them like when, when things like aren't working or I'm like, why am I not excited about this? I ask myself that question. It's a good, actually a self-coaching activity to, to do that. Um, yeah, because you're right, because I am driven by, we're also strengths geeks. My number one is ideation. And it says, I get frustrated when um, people say we do things because we've always done it this way. Like, I hate that. <laughs> Another reason we get along, my number one is ideation. This is probably oh. why we, we connect in so many different ways. Um, I think the, the way that we've always done things is the most frustrating phrase. I think it's frustrating for anyone, but for people who are high ideation who go, could we connect the dots in a new way? Could we try something a bit different? Mm -hmm. um, hearing that language is almost like an immediate internal resistance, right? So yes, I think... Number one, like thinking through is is in the context of wherever I'm at right now, if I'm a leader of a team and I'm wanting to bring people into a space and kind of reduce the resistance that's required to get them into the space where they're at their best, mm -hmm. what do I do to make sure that I'm not doing the same predictable script over and over again? Um, I remember there was a, a story of some, I think it might have even been in the power of moments where they said they brought the whole staff together, brought them to the place where they would normally do their retreat, then put them all on buses and sent them somewhere else. <laughs> Or they went into a session and at the end of the session, they turned all the chairs around and made them face the other way in the room. So like just simple things, like little, like spontaneous things that you do that yes. just kind of can reduce that internal resistance. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, you're right. And I, the often what we see is, again, at a micro level, it would be if I was a leader and I wanted to achieve that, the go-to would be send out a meeting request for 9am on Tuesday. Uh, this is the Zoom room and I'll call it, you know, team alignment session, right? It's like... Break that. I mean, why does it have to be, uh, could it be a phone call? Could it be um, a virtual coffee or a happy hours a bit overdone right now? Think about the time. Like, again, it goes back to that purpose, but what are you going to call it? Could it be something like, um, I don't know, Olympic celebration ceremony? Like, like, let's discover, let's share what our favorite Olympians did and then re-engineer that for our, like, I don't know, I'm just thinking on the spot here, but it's just questioning, as you said, the structures that are already formed, because if you were to send that meeting to Tuesday, nine o'clock in the morning, everyone else comes in with that baggage as well. And everyone else will sort of conform to what that's, that setting suggests. So by mm -hmm. changing the name of the format, you actually break, again, breaking that pattern. Um, and Priya Parker talks a lot about this in her amazing book, The Art of Gathering. You know, the event has begun before it has actually begun. Mm. So you've got to break your own pattern before you then uh, share that with other people. And, and it all comes back to intention and purpose. 
Oh, I love that. I can't remember. I've, I've been racking my brain to try and think of who it was. It, it may have been another one of those contexts in um, in Chip and Dan Heath's book, or it could be something that even Michael Bungay-Stanya has talked mm. about where he was saying, like, I, oh, I'm trying to think of who it was, but it was basically like, rather than sending out a we're going to be meeting on Thursday at 8 a.m., um, oh, actually, you know who it was? It was Ooh. Michael Dixon. It was Michael Dixon in his book, Everyday Creative. He said, rather than sending out an invite um, for 8 a.m. saying strategy session, he's like, um, send out an invite that just says top secret meeting, tell nobody, uh, meet me in the foyer at 8 a.m. Like that kind of way to just break the script and and shake things up right from the start. Now, obviously it comes back to the word of intention and purpose, right? Yeah, well, so it's funny you say that. So uh, I used to work in marketing and I worked in the, the Kimberley region of Australia in a marketing role. We were doing a big rebranding project um, and I knew that word of mouth within the business was like the super, like it was so strong, the word of mouth. And I wanted people to know about the rebranding process, but I didn't want it to be like a top-down approach. Yep, this is how we're going to run it. So I would just do everything as a secret. Like I would tell a few like influencers within the business and be like, don't tell anyone. Like, but I have the region <laughs> covered. And then a couple of days later, when we actually launched the rebrand, the MD was like, that is the best change I've ever, I've ever encountered. Like there was zero res- resistance. Um, <laughs> Everyone knew exactly what was going on because it was fueled by that, that the top secret approach, which I love. Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> and so, I mean, one of the things we're going to talk through is, um, you know, from that perspective, there's some really great ways there for someone who might be leading a team to reduce the potential resistance of something. So how, what do you do? What are the kind of contexts which might elevate and raise resistance? And the question to reflect on is where might that resistance be coming from really? Like if we dig below the surface oh, of that, like question. where is that Where is that resistance coming from? And is there a way we can interrupt or break that script or change that narrative or intercept that narrative before the resistance rises, right? So really good perspective mm-hmm. from a leader's perspective. Like let's flip the lens a little bit and go now at an individual level. So if it's someone who might be listening, mm-hmm. um, one of my favourite quotes is actually from um, – the War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And he says, um, what I would say is probably my definition of success. Um, and, and I think it's probably the best way I've heard it articulated. He said, there are two lives we live. There's the life we actually live. And then there's the unlived life within us. Oh my gosh. And between those two stands resistance. And I'm oh. like, that is powerful. Like there is the life that I am currently living. And then there's this untapped potential within me. But what stands between closing those gaps for me is that, that feeling of resistance of how do I do that? That is like, that's actually my new favorite quote. That'd be, that's how I'm living. now. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing that Shane. Uh, That really hit home for me. And I think what, where it gets harder for any leader or anyone listening here is not when it's super frustrating, you know, that you're in so much pain, right? Because then, you know, there's, there's a, it's a headache is an immediate need to get this fixed where it can be almost more painful, and this is where I'm speaking from my experience at the moment when I'm repositioning what I'm doing is things are good. So things are good. Um, and Michael Bungay Senior talks about this in his book, uh, as does Jim Collins, Good to Great. Um, you're doing good work, but you could be doing that great work, which is that unlived potential. Mm. But if you're doing good work, it's very easy to get caught in that success trap because um, things are going okay. But then you think we only have, if you go back to that point from that quote, we only have this one short life. You know, what could you be potentially stopping now or resisting in order to get to that, um, to that potential? I think that's where it gets really scary is in that, that obviously that comfort zone. I'm sure you'd work with leaders that are just caught in that sort of, yeah, things are going okay. It's mediocre, a bit of apathy there. I don't need to disrupt myself because everything is okay. That can be dangerous. Mm. 
Well, who doesn't want to live to some extent an extraordinary life, right? Like I think everyone has that inner desire to want to mm. do it. But then you run the risk of, okay, well, what does that actually mean for me? It means I need to um, push against the the comfort of going back to the way things are, right? So one of the, the yeah. phrases that I often use with people when they're, um, I guess, leading change or communicating change is the desire to go there wherever there is is going to be um, really low when the comfort to stay here is really high, right? So when you've got high comfort here, the desire to want to go there is going to be really low. And so how do we start to tell people not just why here is better, why there is better, but why you can't stay here? Like by staying mm-hmm. here, how do we remove some of the comfort of being where you are? So it goes, hey, if I if I keep if I keep staying here, I'm never going to fulfill that inner desire to want to make a difference. If I stay here, I'm I'm never going to achieve the thing that I really want, which is over there. Yeah, it's like um, the wins, not wins. There's, there's something that there's a short term win that's keeping you there, that's preventing you from going um, elsewhere. And I think I was actually just talking to to Alan Weiss this morning. It, and we were talking about change and he said often leaders aren't fearful. They, they, they can buy into that future, but what they are fearful of is the journey that will take them there because that is unknown. So mm. it's great to even just form like a short-term path of like what are the short-term measures now that can position. It's like that one, one degree change to get you back on that flight path. But what does that look like? And, and actually like bring it into real life daily behavior as opposed to, oh, we have to change and this is what it means. And I, I of course, like anyone would fear that. Yeah, I mean, you touched on something which I think is a really powerful thought, which is the idea of um, resistance isn't just big picture, long-term resistance, which is I've got to overcome the big resistance that exists from where I am now to where I want to be, but it's also the daily resistance that shows up in order to achieve that. And you did something which I think is like, Incredible. And um, last year in 2020, you had set out on a mission to just run a lot, right? Yeah. <laughs> Talk us through your journey last year. Well, it was actually uh, just before New Year's Eve, um, I heard about this challenge and it was to run 2020 kilometers in the year 2020. And I thought, oh, that sounds really compelling. I thought, I'll just get a, get, we both use a Nike running app, which we love. Um, so I put it out, I posted out on Facebook. I had about eight friends jump in. We created a Facebook group and just started this challenge. And I, I, I honestly started in, all I did to figure out whether I should get involved or not was I got the, the numbers 2020 and divided that by 365. And I was like, okay, that's what, 5.4 Ks a day. So that's that's fine. What I failed to recognize is if you miss one day, you're running 11 kilometers the next day. So on weekends I was doing like half marathons and uh, like my life, it was, Shane, it got to the stage where I was waking up, like literally opening my eyes in the morning and thinking, run, run. <laughs> Just get up and run. run. Even if it's around the house, I'll get 200 meters in around the house and it reduces my <laughs> afternoon run. Yeah. But, the, but it was great. I mean, talk about overcoming resistance. I don't, like, I like running, but, um, and it was great, right? So, so I had to just do it because I was so committed to that goal. And once you accumulate like hundreds of Ks, you think, okay, I can do this. It's, it's achievable. Let me, um, but yeah, the daily behavior absolutely changed. Uh, even was the there a before. moment like hearing that, like when you go, okay, we've got a few hundred Ks under the belt. Yeah. Was there a moment where you went like, okay, like I can do that, do this. And at what point do you feel like that was? I, I definitely wanted to do it. I was constantly reassessing. So um, often I would just find out the daily average. I was using just a calculator to figure it out. I was also mapping out what was going ahead. Um, I think for me, all of us actually in the challenge were really good up to about the 300, 400, 500 kilometer mark. And then people started fading and I was like, I don't, that can't be me. Now, luckily, unluckily COVID hit around March, I think. 
And that's when, what else could I have done? All I could do was run. So it sort of served in my favour. Uh, then I started doing a bit of inter uh, travel within Queensland towards the end of the year. That got really tough. But then I always knew that if I had to pull out 20K runs to make up for it, kind of like my university life, it was just cramming. Like if I can just, <laughs> I really should have done more sort of consistent work. But yeah, I was doing a bit of cramming in November, December. So one of the things I find interesting about that is that um, when we think about resistance, resistance we feel like is either on or off, right? So it's either like I feel resistance or I don't feel resistance. It should be easy or it should be hard. But yet sometimes it's like, intensity elevates and, and, and decreases over time. But either way, the resistance is always still there to some always extent there. or some degree, right? So is there. Yeah. I actually had a friend the other day, I was talking to him and he's a CEO of a business and he was talking about LinkedIn. He's like, oh, I need to do more videos. He's like, I just don't have time. And I'm like, that's a cop out. It's like, <laughs> we've been talking for 10 minutes. We, you could have shot two videos right now. So it's also defining what the actual resistance is is as well. So for me with the running, there's a few things that had to happen. Like I had to make sure my phone and my watch were charged and they could track it. I had to make sure that the night before I was prepping myself for, for that moment. So it's even, um, and look, it's one thing that I just have not overcome yet. There's a couple of things in terms of resistance. One is like getting my email newsletter out, uh, prepping on a Sunday afternoon, doing these things makes my life easier, uh, for future Leanne. But like you said, Shane, it's like that, that daily resistance of going, making that space so that future Leanne, it's a, it's a lot easier to overcome it. Um, yeah, interesting observation about resistance sort of coming and going, but always sort of remaining, remain, like lying dormant there. So the question I'd ask is, is, is resistance good or is resistance bad? Great. And it's what great. do you think people's perspective is on it? Do we see resistance as a, as a you know, community or society? Do we see it as a good thing or do we see it as a bad thing generally? Yeah, I think it has negative connotations, of course. Like I said, you always hear that phrase, overcoming resistance, as if it's a bad thing. I've recently started Reformer Pilates. That's all built off the back of resistance, like upping the springs, downing the springs. <laughs> I've done right? it. I've, I, I, <laughs> I, I went, um, as a side note to the Pilates conversation, I have a friend who was a Pilates instructor, um, a Reformer Pilates instructor, and I, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go do it for my posture because I need it because I'm thinking that it's going to just be this easy experience. And I was too embarrassed to go to a class because I'm deeply uncoordinated. And so I said, could you do some one-on-one -on -one with me, which she deeply regrets that decision um, because I was the most uncoordinated person, but I have never been so sore in my entire life. But it, it, the entire thing runs on resistance, right? It runs on resistance, right? Yeah. Building muscle runs off resistance. You're having to break down your muscle to build it. So not all things in life can be run through the analogy of, of reformers in the gym, but I think it's what you do with the resistance, right? So the question that I have to ask myself is why is it appearing? Um, what does this mean? What I have to restructure in my day or in my thinking or in my, again, what do I need to interrupt? What patterns do I need to interrupt to make this happen? Is it even worth overcoming this resistance? Like, do I really want this? And if I'm not willing to sacrifice like small things to position myself there, maybe this isn't exactly what I want. Maybe that's something that's coming through. So I think it's really important to pay attention to when it comes out. But also I found in workshops, the people that are often uh, most resistant in the workshops, when they actually become engaged and involved, you find the biggest transformation from them. It's the, when it, there's apathy and there's a feeling like, oh, I don't really care about this or I'm, I'm in that neutral zone. So I'm actually a big fan of resistance. What about you, Shane? I, I think I am a fan of resistance. Um, one of the things that I'm finding is that what I want to want to try and better identify is what you just said is like, where does resistance hit for me? And then if I was to hit resistance on something, what does that tell me 
about my perspective or my attitude or my, or my approach to a particular situation. Mm-hmm. Do you think, like, where do you think resistance comes from? Like wh- where does it, where does it rise up? Is it more common in some areas than others? Mm, where does it come from? Sometimes it just hits me as like a feeling. So if I'll, let's just say I'm listening to a podcast episode and someone will say to, to be successful, you need to work hard. Okay. So I might have a reaction to that. I'll be like, oh, I don't, so there's like that immediate reaction to it. Um, like, Maybe that's true. And then I think, well, crap, I'm not working that hard. I'm not working the, the 20 hour days that everyone's talking about. Is that what it takes to succeed? But then I might look for other opinions as well on that and then try and find people that follow that, work, you know, live 20 hour, work 20 hour weeks uh, that way. I think it comes from maybe um, a fundamental, just from that example, uh, maybe it's hitting on some of your values, something that you've been brought up to appreciate that you hold true. So I like to separate money and time. I don't think they're connected. I don't think they have to be connected. I don't want one my business like that. So that's where I think the resistance can sometimes form is it it's hitting against your values or it's triggering something very close to that or something you've believed in for so long, which then maybe you formed an identity around that. So then it's like, wow, is what I've been believing this whole time right? Um, when you get into ego, you can be, it can be quite dangerous. <laughs> so yeah, detaching yourself from that. Yeah, I mean, I I'm, I was I was trying to remember a quote that I I saw James Clear write, which mm. um, I I absolutely loved, and he was talking about it through the lens of writing, and he was saying like um, we avoid mm. writing something to the effect of we avoid writing because it's hard. He said it, it would be like going to the gym and avoiding working out because it was hard. Like it's like you get better by using the resistance of some of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and but he talks about identity as well. He's like, if you want to become a writer, just start writing every day. You develop the identity of a writer, right? So same as like that example that he gives of going to the gym every day, even just going, not doing anything, coming back, but just driving there every day, you develop that identity and habit around it. So you can use it in your favor um, by creating those habits and small things daily to overcome it in the long term. Um Writing, um, absolutely, that is the one I need to overcome for sure. And I love that, you, you know, you've got another book on the way, so I'm so envious. I do, I do. It's slowly coming and it's, it is one of those things, getting back into the discipline of something. I think that the the thing that I constantly reflect on when it comes to resistance in my own um, in my own life is this idea that if I'm experiencing resistance personally um, around something that is really meaningful and valuable to me, it reminds me that I'm becoming a version of myself that's different to the existing version of myself. It reminds mm. me that I'm changing and I'm growing mm. and I'm developing, which means that if there's going to be change and if there's going to be growth, it's going to meet up against the desire to want to stay where I already am. And so resistance for me can either serve as a reminder that this is helping me become the person that I want to be and it's actually developing me into the person that I want to be. Or other times it actually can be that point of like where is the resistance so strong that it's actually a good signal that's probably not the right thing for me to be doing. Yeah. Like how do you just like how would you distinguish between the resistance which is helping you become the version of yourself that you want to be and the resistance that's actually going to result in some kind of injury, you know, going forward? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, the metaphorical injury. I think it's casting that vision of what do you want to be? That unlived life. What does that look like for you? And being quite specific about it. So one thing that I've done, it's a great tool, Jenny Blake. Um, it's called the Ideal Day Mad Lib. So what it is, it's like a 
imagine a day 12 months from now. So you wake up, like, where are you? What time of day are you waking up? What are you doing in the morning? What are you hearing? And getting very uh, clear with what that ideal day looks like. Who are you working with? What projects have you got on the calendar that you can't wait to work on? What clients are you supporting? Um, what are you reading, right? So you're actually um, going really broad brush here. This, this Shane completely plays into ideation because we're like, oh, wow, this is the day <laughs> that I've imagined. Like, I'm at the beach, I'm running around, I'm hopping on a call with, you know, this company, we're talking about these things. I've got a podcast interview with this author. So that's what I have as the criteria for then deciding is overcoming this resistance of writing in service of what that is. And it's like, yes, because in that vision, I'm a published author. So that would be my criteria for identifying the good versus the bad resistance. Nice. I saw this activity the other day, which I really loved, which is kind of along the similar lines that you could even add to that experience, which was over the last, you know, week or two weeks, whenever you kind of do this exercise, make a list in the right hand, like two columns, the right hand column, make a list of everything that you did that you felt like was energizing for you. That was the thing that gave you the most fulfillment, the things that produced the best results, like the ideal life, the, the, the kind of life that you would love to be living. Yes. And then on the left hand column, draw just make a list of everything that you did over the last week. And then the third stage is to draw a line between the left-hand side, the things that you did on the left-hand side that contributed to the things that achieved on the right-hand side. And so being able to go through and go, what were the things that I did that supported the life that I want to be living and the things that actually created the most energy and excitement? And how do I start to remove anything that doesn't connect those two dots? Mm. And like that concept as well. The hardest part is actually just trying to determine the right-hand column, which is what is the things that if my I had my ideal life or the, the unlived life within me or the things that are the most um, energizing experiences for me, what are those things? Most people don't take time to reflect on that. No, we don't. And usually we only sort of focus on like where things sort of went wrong, that whole negative bias that comes in. We reflect on, oh, that was a poor conversation and you'll mull over that, let alone like <laughs> what went really well. I remember last year someone um, paid me. We went for a walk by the river. They just paid to pick my brain for an hour and we drank coffee by the river. And I was like, that was awesome. Like, I love that. But then you think, then the whole reality is like, how do I monetize this? How do I grow this? Right. And then the, <laughs> that's like, that's the next level. But I think, as you said, that the initial level of defining that is figuring out like those cool moments. Um, actually I like the idea of even just looking at your calendar, reflecting, I might even do that after this conversation, going back the month and just printing it out and going tick or cross as a, as a basic start. Yeah. I, I know yeah. for a little while I did, um, Michael Hyatt's full focus planner and mm. his whole system is built around uh, your ideal week. And he talks, it uh, breaks it down between, I think front stage, backstage and off stage kind of um, like framework, which is what are the things that are like your transactional work, the things that are like customer facing, the things that are like your work, your work days. What are the things backstage, which are like your administrative things that support the things on the front stage? And then what are the off stage things, which is the things outside of work, the recreational, the things that are more life aspects um, of the things that you want to do. And part of that was actually mapping out your ideal week. Like if I could live the ideal week for those three categories, what would I do? I felt like I was really good most of the time at scheduling the front stage backstage, which is all of my work life. I'm really good at scheduling work life. I was really bad at scheduling life outside of Same. that. Same. Same. <laughs> yes, yes, me too. And now I've like even, yeah, I, I completely agree with you, uh, Shane. Uh, it's just uh, like there's one more framework. It's funny because Michael Hyatt, Don Miller also does um, some work with Michael Hyatt as well. But he, he takes it a step above that. And I've been doing his Hero on a Mission program this year. You have to write your eulogy 
you write your eulogy. <laughs> so you're like, someone's delivering a eulogy. What are they saying about you? And then, yeah, you step it back into 10 year, five year chunks. And then every day you go, right, does this map into the, but like, it's, it's kind of morbid, but, um, how long do we no, have? I, I think it's have? great. So depending yeah. on when this episode goes live, I have a feeling we'll have already heard the episode um, that I did with Chris Freeman um, from Designer Decade. And his whole um, uh, mission is around helping people be intentional around the next decade of their life. He said most of the time we plan our life around 65 and he said it's the wrong number to plan around. And he breaks it down into like what, where do I want to be in 10 years' time? Like how do I live intentionally over the next decade? And like again, like I think the, the big themes I'm hearing in this conversation is – to recognize that in order to be able to close the gap between the life we live and the unlived life within us, we've got to determine like, what is that unlived life within us? Where do we want to be? Like whether that's, you know, let's talk about it in a, like a more corporate context, like as a team, what's the potential of our team and what do I want for our team? Like for me as a leader, what do I want for me as an individual? What's the unlived potential within us? And then what's the current reality of where we're living? Um, because standing between those two is some kind of resistance that we need to deal with, Right. I love that question. What is the un, un, uh, unlived potential of the team, the untapped potential? Um, and it's really fascinating that a lot of teams, no one asks that question, right? Everyone's putting out fires every single day. You would notice that it's super reactive, day-to-day planning. And when you do that, the resistance I find is always that uh, the time. It's, it's the time, the priorities, the um, what, what are you noticing from teams when you ask that question? Like, have they ever been asked it before? Well, I don't think one of the questions that I typically ask um, people when I'm in a group setting and I'm doing, you know, facilitation work or training work, mm-hmm. I'd say, how would you feel like more so to leaders? How would you feel if you just decided and told your team that you were just going to take, you know, an hour to two hours? This is when we were not in lockdowns um, to just go out and sit in a cafe and think about the future. How would you feel telling your team that? And they were like, there's no way in the world I could tell my team that. We are so slammed right now. We don't have any time. Like it would just feel so luxurious to be able to do that. And I I get the sense that the issue for a lot of people I talk to or the, the resistance that most people are dealing with right now is just creating the space to even have the conversation in the first place. Yeah. I really love this theme of intention, intention. Potentiality. <laughs> there we go. Third time, third time lucky. And um, a quote that I do love is, yeah, if not now, when? Um, mm. Because I, I did this scenario with leaders. It might be, okay, you've been asked to work on this, the most amazing project. It's going to take another six hours of your time. How do you create the time to work on this project, right? So breakout rooms, they discuss it, they come back and they go, these are the things that we would do. And then I say, why can't you do that now? Like, why couldn't you take that action right now? And it's like they're waiting, I'm not saying that they, like I do it too. I'm waiting for this perfect moment where I'll get a sign that it's the right moment. We've got space. Space never arrives. It has to be yeah. carved out. Um, and it's bringing it into today. So like, I mean, like I said, my constant thing, internal dialogue, I need to get my newsletter out. I need to, to do this. I need to reposition myself. And I'm always sort of waiting for a moment in future. Uh, but we only really have now. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Mm. I wrote a, an article series or a newsletter series um, talking about um, the small things that make a big difference. And one of those themes that I talked about was margins. And and my general sense of, of people is that they don't, nobody starts out with a calendar that's overflowing. Like we start out with really an empty calendar and then we have a finite amount of space. And re- regardless, we all have the same amount of time. This is the thing that's like still really hard to get your head around. It's like, we don't get more time than anybody else. We just put more in the middle 
And the danger of putting more in the middle is you get less at the edges. And so what we do is when we put more in, we lose our margins. And those margins are the things that are so helpful for us to be able to get creative and, and to have that space. I heard someone describe it to me, you know, when you go to school, like what was the whole point of margins? The whole point of drawing margins was so that the teacher could write in the space and it was where you learned, right? So it was like, when you do your work, you need to allow the buffer of the margin so you can reflect and go, what did I learn? What can I, what can I get out of that experience rather than just filling our page from left to right, which doesn't allow any space for us to be able to get <laughs> yeah. more out of it. I love that. I love the margin thing. I'm going to start drawing margins actually. That's awesome. Yeah. Just like critique. To go back and reflect on, right? Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's yeah. super helpful. With a red pen. <laughs> But I think everyone has the same dilemma, which is I don't have time. Yeah. And I, I don't think you, you just don't find time. Like you don't miraculously look at your calendar and go, you know what? Oh, I found some time here. Uh, you, you've got to make that time. Yeah. And you're right about the calendar. So I've just booked out every Monday and my calendar is booked out. I just call it deep work Monday. Um, and it's just to create that space. It doesn't matter what I'm working on, but I just don't want any meetings or anything front stage. On, on that day. Mm. And so I had a Monday workshop this week, which really sort of threw me, it spun, spun me out. But um, the other thing I look at is, you know, our, our prime minister, ex, uh, John Howard, Obama, when he was president, they got up every morning and they went on the treadmill. John Howard walked around Canberra for an hour. And I think, I think about me, I'm, I'm not the prime minister. I'm not running a nation. If they can do that, surely I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I always see that meme, meme going around that says you have the same number of hours in a day as Beyonce. And I'm like, okay, well, let's just <laughs> think of that. Out. Yours is a much more professional response to that question than, than mine was. <laughs> Here's the question that I heard you say a little bit earlier on, and I, I put it in the back of my mind and went, okay, I'm going to bring that later on, which is that you said, I don't love this idea of talking about overcoming resistance. And then we moved on in the conversation. I want to come back to it because we, we're talking about right now about how do we start to reduce the resistance between the life we currently live and the unlived life within, a, within us as an individual or as a team, the potential mm. that we could achieve. So then is it about overcoming resistance? And if it's not, what is it? Well, I like finding different ways, right? So rather than just going the highways, like what's the sort of the scenic route or the, or the back way? Like what's the way that would resonate most of the way, my values, the way that I work, the way that I'm energized. So there's no one way to get somewhere. But um, so writing a book, some people need a retreat. They need to go away for and hide in a cave for eight months. Some people can just write 500 pages a day. There's different ways of getting somewhere. So I think instead of overcoming, and I guess when I was thinking about that, it was maybe in the context of when people are trying to drive change in an organization, they always say we need to overcome the resistance. What they're sort of devaluing is so that person's where that the person is coming from. Like we need to uh, inspire them to come to our side rather than what is playing out. Like how do we, uh, how do we bring that person along? I just, just the word overcome. I find it's, it's like, I need to win this debate. I find it quite um, status yeah, related like in terms of overcoming, dominating, as opposed to listening, understanding, working with. Yeah. Mm. It was just maybe more a linguistic thing. I like the word working with resistance rather than trying to overcome resistance because yeah. I think the word overcome feels like it's something we need to eliminate. Conquer, working eliminate. with allow, allows us to go, actually, resistance is something that helps me. I have this conversation a little mm. while ago with someone. I said, you know, if, if I was to imagine, let's say imagine running 10 kilometres, ask me a year ago or even 18 months ago, if you said, hey, I want you to go out and run 10 kilometres, I would say there's no way. Like I can't even imagine that. Now I ran a marathon in 2013, so it's not like I, I like I can't visualize that it's possible. But if you asked me 12 months ago, there's no way in the world I could have done it. Yeah. Ask me to get out and run 500 meters. I go, yeah, I could do that. But it, it, it was tough. It wasn't easy. Then over time, running further, running longer, you know, developing that, 
kind of just working with that resistance every day. Now to run 10 kilometers, it's a different conversation. Yeah. But between those two lives that I wanted to live, I had to work with resistance in order to achieve that. If I didn't want resistance or if I didn't, if I felt like it had to be um, overcome in some way, there's no way in the world I would have just kept going. No. No, it's not something, yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's probably the problem as well is like we see something as this, this huge, I mean, we all know about chunking things down and, and what is that sort of thing that you can do at the smallest level in order to get there. Yeah, that's, that's a great analogy with your 10K run as well. And yeah, I do think working with is, is actually way more powerful. Mm. Mm. So going back and thinking through this conversation, I, I, there yeah. is so much gold in this. There's so much value. I, I'm hearing a lot of the big themes coming through in all of this is to really understand that resistance isn't a bad thing. Like we don't have to fear when we, when we come up against resistance, the question to reflect on is why am I experiencing this resistance? Like better understand and, and develop our relationship to resistance. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. once we can understand it, we can go, actually, what could this teach me and what is this developing in me and how is it helping me um, or potentially getting the way in, of, of me closing the gap between the unlived potential within me and, and where I'm currently at. I mean, if we were to kind of land this on some, you know, something that you think is like a practical or accessible next step for a person who's bumping up against resistance right now, there's so many practical things, but like just one thing that you might leave someone with to kind of help them to work with resistance rather than feeling like it needs to be feared or avoided. Oh, such a good question and great uh, recap, by the way, of what we spoke about. This has been super exciting. Oh, I wasn't too sure what we were going to head, where head with this, but I feel like I've got some things solved. So I would just say um, when you encounter that resistance, first of all, don't blame or judge yourself um, and feel bad about, about it because that's not going to get you anywhere. It's um, take a step back, find that margin, I guess, as you would say, Shane, um, find that margin, take a couple of minutes just to think about, okay, why is this happening? Is it related to where I want to be? Is, is this the problem? Like, do I really want to overcome this or am I just doing it because I feel like I have to? Um, reassess and then think, what is a low ease way that makes sense for me that I could then start making some progress towards this? And you might have to break your your pattern of thinking and way of working. So it could be like, a, like my pattern is usually just going for a walk, getting some fresh air. I usually find that resolves like 98% of what I'm thinking about uh, and gets me unstuck. But what does that look like for you? And I think, as you said, to work with resistance is to find out how you're comfortable playing with it, recognizing that it's a process. So if you can figure it out, if you get stuck brainstorming, you do that. Could you apply that to other aspects? So just, just, just trying to figure out at that micro level, what would that sort of basic tiny step in that direction look like for me if I want to take this uh, and work with its resistance along the way? So, yeah. so helpful. This whole conversation, I, I said that we were going to go for eight hours. Um, I definitely feel like we could go for <laughs> eight hours. Um, it's been so valuable and some really great resources in there that you can point people to. Um, now, I'll put a whole bunch of ways that people can connect with you into the show notes for the, for the podcast. But for people who want to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, uh, LinkedIn would be the best way. Love love playing around on LinkedIn. I, fi- I find LinkedIn is a, just an experiment every day, just a bit of a playground. So love to connect with you there and my website, leannehughes.com. Yeah, and people should definitely check out the podcast. You've got like a huge back catalogue of podcasts that people can go back and listen to that are super helpful, super engaging. And um, I just, I think you're extremely clever. And so it's, it's apt that you're on phone calls with clever people. Leanne, thanks so much for joining me. Shane, thank you so much. What a delightful conversation. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.